0: The month of December is here, okay. And uh, whether you are ready for it or not, Christmas is coming quickly. Uh, I know that my wife and I were just talking uh, yesterday, and she's like, "Okay, uh, it's it's December, and uh, we need to kind of kick it into gear um, when it comes to certain things and getting certain things ready and prepared." Uh, and so um, it can come quickly, and um, you know it's important that we take time to to pause because. Uh, things get real busy real fast. Um, You know, for us as a church, each year when Christmas rolls around, we usually pause in our normal Sunday morning studies, and we take maybe a week or two, um, just depending upon when Christmas Day falls, to remind ourselves of the importance, the significance of the holiday. Uh, We we usually will look at some of the traditional accounts of Jesus's birth. We'll look either at uh, the account of Mary and Joseph. Uh, We'll look at the account with the shepherds, you know, watching over their flocks by night. We'll look at the account of the wise men and and their journey to come and worship the child, Jesus, not the baby, Um, but that's another story. We won't, maybe later this month. Um, You know, this year I was just praying and seeking the Lord. And I felt like the Lord was leading us in a different direction this year. You know, we just finished the book of first Timothy two weeks ago. Our normal approach would be to dive right into second Timothy as we continue to make our way through God's word. But I thought, oh, if we start to second Timothy, it's kind of a shorter book, start it. And then we stop for a week or two and then come back to it. We have to kind of review. And I just felt like, oh, we don't want to do that. So what would, what else could we do, Lord? Um, And as I considered the calendar, where we're at in our Sunday morning services, having finished one book and and having not yet started another, I felt just impressed uh, upon my heart the desire to do something different uh, from what we normally do regarding Christmas services. You know, I know that many of you come from, you know, a lot of different church backgrounds, a lot of different denominational uh, backgrounds, and you have many different traditions and practices that come with the Christmas season. And one of those traditional customs during this time is observing a special time referred to as Advent. Um, The word Advent is actually derived from the Latin Adventus, which simply means coming. Uh, In the Greek, the Bible uses the word parousia uh, to reference the coming of someone. It's also used to describe the arrival of someone or someone being present. Uh, the Bible uses this word parousia uh, to speak of the coming of all sorts of different people in their travels. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul speaks of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses it again to refer to the coming of Titus and how his arrival brought comfort to himself and Timothy while on the mission field. In the book of Philippians, uh, Paul uses it to refer to his presence when referring to how the church in Philippi was willing to obey, not only in Paul's presence, but also in his absence, that word presence. It's the same Greek word, uh, parousia. Uh, And so the word parousia is, is used to simply refer to the coming or presence of someone, but it is used most of all in reference to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word is actually used 24 times in the New Testament, and 17 of those 24 times that it is used, it is used in reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Advent is about celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ. And you may think to yourself, well, that's what Christmas is, right? It's it's about remembering and celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ as a a babe laid in a manger for you and for me. But that isn't really the focus and the main event that's talked about in the scriptures when it refers to his parousia, parousia parousia, yeah, his coming, okay? Uh, You see, out of the 17 times this word is used in connection to Jesus's coming, only one of them is used in reference to his first coming some 2,000 years ago, okay? The other 16 times this word is used, it's actually used in reference to his second coming, and so Advent is about celebrating, and remembering his first coming. But the Bible's main emphasis when using this word is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so during this Advent season, we're going to take some time to look at and to remember the first coming of Jesus. But we're also going to look at and remember that he's coming again, because that's really the Bible's main emphasis in using that word parousia. Um, now, Advent is celebrated in a number of different mainline Christian denominations. It takes different forms within each. Uh, Some traditions have special scripture readings. Others have the lighting of special candles. Some even say you have to have specific colored candles, pink ones, purple ones, a white one, uh, and and all sorts of other things. Some people are like, oh, the colors don't matter. Just have some candles. Um, Others add seasons of fasting and prayer and and repentance to this uh, time. But really, it's meant to be a time of preparation. A time of remembrance, a time to set our hearts upon the Lord, to remember his first coming while looking forward to his second coming. You know, when referring to Advent, most all agree that it begins on the closest Sunday to November 30th, and it concludes on Christmas Day, usually with Christmas Eve service uh, as a celebration of his coming. The four Sundays leading up to Christmas are usually used to look at certain themes regarding the coming of Jesus Christ, such themes as faith, Uh, Hope, uh, preparation, uh, love, joy, peace, uh, Christ uh, himself. Uh, Again, different groups of people look at different themes. Uh, And having been discipled and trained uh, within a non-denominational church, I myself have never been part of a traditional Advent service. And so I thought, you know what, God? We've got four Sundays. It's lined up kind of right with the calendar. We finished one book before we start this new book. let's, Let's do our own tradition. Let's do Advent. And as I'm considering just what to do, how to do it, having never done it myself, I quickly realized That there isn't one set way to celebrate Advent. There are different themes to look at. Each church does things a little different. And so we're going to do our own special thing for Advent this year. Hopefully it encourages you, maybe reminds you of some of your own traditions. I hope it doesn't uh, bother you that I don't have special candles. Um, But hopefully the heart and the emphasis um, will be there. And we'll all be good to go. All right? So... uh, As the Lord leads each week, we're going to be looking at different themes over the next four Sundays that are connected to Christmas and the Advent season in hopes that God will prepare our hearts to not only celebrate and remember his first coming, which is what we traditionally probably do for Christmas, but to also look forward with great anticipation towards his second coming. This morning, we're going to start off this first Sunday of Advent by looking at the theme of hope. Our time in the Word will be more topical as we look really throughout Scripture at the theme of hope and its connection to the coming of Jesus Christ. The title of today's message is going to be The Hope of Christmas. Okay, the hope of Christmas. And we're going to start off reading from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. And we're going to kind of use that to kind of jump uh, to a couple other places. But Romans, chapter 15, uh, is where we're going to start. And so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open them up to Romans, chapter 15. And then once you've arrived there in the book of Romans, I'd like to invite you to rise to your feet in honor of God and his word. Romans, Chapter 15, okay, Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, okay, if you're in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you're too far, okay, Romans chapter 15, okay. I'm going to read our uh, opening verses from my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have a different translation, that's fine. I just encourage you, do your best to follow along as I read from Paul's powerful letter of Romans. Paul writes the following in Romans chapter 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, loud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, the opportunity we have to open up your word, Lord, to allow it to speak to us. And Lord, hopefully, uh, prayerfully uh, prepare us uh, to celebrate uh, Christmas in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit's leading and guiding. Uh, we thank you ahead of time for being here with us, and we give you our time together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Here in the book of Romans, Romans, Paul mentions the God that we worship and he identifies him as the God of hope. The God that we serve and worship is a God of hope. But what that word hope means is quite interesting. What does it mean that he is a God of hope? And what does it have to do with Christmas and the Advent season? Now, I'm sure that there are some here, uh, perhaps young and old, uh, whose hearts are filled with hope for this Christmas year. Um, You know, I know and remember, um, it wasn't that long ago when I was a child, uh, growing up, hoping for certain gifts to be under the tree come Christmas morning, you know, and hope for uh, the latest video games and uh, remote control cars and bikes or, or games and, you know, board games. I liked a lot of board games, Uh, a whole host of other things. And and some things don't change much, you know, as I've aged, Uh, I no longer want video games, but Hey, computers or other electronics, those are good gifts. Those are always uh, liked. Um, you know, remote control cars have been replaced with accessories for my real car. Um, I still like bikes and games, um, but I know I won't get a bike because the bikes I like are real expensive. Um, One thing that is totally different is that I actually like getting clothes now for Christmas. Uh, Growing up, I never once hoped for Christmas that I would have clothes under the Christmas tree, but yet inevitably there was always clothes under the Christmas tree. You know, when we talk about hope in regard to Christmas, it often revolves around a type of wishful thinking or optimism, uh, hoping that, you know, what you got your loved ones will bring them great joy to their hearts or or hoping that your loved ones will get you, you know, just the right gift. When the Bible talks about hope, though, it, it isn't the same. In English, hope involves a grand idea that you, you really aren't sure whether or not it will come to pass. Like I said, it's like a a wishful thinking, you know, it'd be great if it happened, but you're really not expecting it to happen. You know, I might wish and, and hope for my favorite football team to win, but they are not very good. And so I don't expect them to win, right? But that isn't the hope of the Bible. There are two main words in the Old Testament that are translated as the word hope the words yahel and tikva. Yahel is a Hebrew verb that means to wait or to tarry or to hope. It is often used to symbolize a waiting with hope, a waiting with a certain expectation of something coming to be. Tikva is a Hebrew noun that refers to hope and expectation. It refers to an attitude of anticipation with the expectation that something will happen, not that it might happen. For example, we've got uh, a number of ladies here at church this morning in this service who are pregnant and expecting their babies to come at a certain time, right? This isn't just wishful thinking or optimism. The baby is going to come, right? Courtney, Rachel, it's going to you know, just wait uh, patiently. (laughs) They are pregnant. That baby is going to come. There's a certain expectation, uh, uh, biblically speaking, a certain hope, right? (laughs) That sooner or later, that baby will make their debut. That is what the kind of hope is when we talk about hope in the Bible. In the New Testament, there are two more words that are used in the Greek for the word hope. There's the noun, elpis, and the verb, elpizo, the noun elpis is defined as hope or desire of some good with expectation of obtaining it. a looking forward to in confident expectation. El piso comes from the same root word elpis and shares the same basic understanding. It means to hope or expect with desire. It means to look forward to something with a confident and trusting hope. And so when we See that when the Bible speaks about hope, it isn't just an optimistic, wishful thinking of something, but it carries with it the idea of waiting with confident expectation for something yet to come. We may not have it now, but we have every bit of confidence and expectation that we one day will. That is the hope of the Bible. The Lord is the God of hope. Because while we may not see him now, we are confident and expected that one day we will. We have hope for all the promises that he has given, and we believe that he will fulfill all of them. Regarding Christmas and the Advent season, hope is something that this season is built off of. Christmas is built off of hope, awaiting with expectation, But what is it exactly that we are hopeful of? What or who are we waiting for? Well, Paul alludes to what people were hoping for when he mentioned in verse 8, the promises made to the fathers. The first point we want to make this morning, real simple, it's a three-point today, uh, simple uh, for us to write down and jot down. The first point I want to make is the hope of Christmas is a hope that was foretold. The hope of Christmas is a hope that was foretold. God made certain promises to the fathers, promises that the Israelites hoped for, promises they waited for with great expectation. These promises given to the fathers no doubt have men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in mind. God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To Abraham's son, Isaac, God declared, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath, which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants, all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed to Jacob, Isaac's son, who later would be named Israel God promised. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These men were known as the patriarchs of the Jewish family, but they weren't the only fathers that were given promises. Another prominent father was given an important promise by the Lord. It was King David over and over again. As you read through the historical accounts of the Kings of Judah, we read whether or not they walked in the ways of their father, David. David was given a very important promise by the Lord. The Lord promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established forever. These promises, they are all connected to the hope of God sending someone through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, who would set up an everlasting kingdom and bless all of Israel. Isaiah prophesied of the, second, of the seed that would come and sit upon the throne of David when he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. this. And so these promises they were given to the fathers and these promises they foretold of a future king that would come, a hope of someone to establish an everlasting kingdom. But we understand and know that these promises they are not limited to just the Jews. God's plan was not just to bring a Jewish king that would establish a Jewish kingdom and nation, but a king that would rule and reign over all of the world, over every tribe, tongue, and nation, and blessing would come upon all the earth. Paul references some of the Old Testament scriptures that foretold of God's plan, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Here in Romans, Paul quotes, from four different places in scripture, from the latter part of verse nine, all the way down through verse 12. In these quotations, we see a progression of God's plan for the Gentiles, for the rest of this world. In verse nine, where Paul quotes from David's song of praise recorded for us in second Samuel 22 verse 50, we see that the Jews will confess or praise the Lord amongst the Gentiles. The Jews will sing to the Lord before them. The idea being presented here is the idea of the Jews professing and openly acknowledging the Lord before the Gentiles. The Jews had a responsibility to, to share the Lord with the Gentiles. Next Paul quotes from Moses' song of praise, where the writer of the law states in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43: Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. You see, the progression goes from the Jewish, the Jews sharing with the Gentiles to inviting them to shout for joy along with them. Then Paul quotes from the psalmist where he refers to Psalm 117, where the Gentiles are invited to worship together with the people. We see the Gentiles progress from shouts of joy to shouts of praise and worship. Lastly, Paul quotes from Isaiah the prophet referencing Isaiah's prophecy concerning the root of Jesse, that seed that would come, that king that would set up that everlasting kingdom, commonly referred to as the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Christ. We see that God's plan has progressed to the point where Gentiles will place their hope in the Messiah. And one day they will have the Messiah to reign over them just like the nation of Israel. Not only is it interesting to consider just the progression that Paul goes through in quoting from the Old Testament, it's also interesting to note the sources that he chose from. Paul quoted from David, Moses, the psalmist, and Isaiah. Why are those four important? Okay. Okay. We see that each of these guys, they were very prominent people. Okay. uh, Used of the Lord. Okay. But we see that each of these quotations comes from a major part of the Old Testament scriptures. We have a quote from Moses in the law. We have a quote from David in the historical books. We have a quote from the psalmist in the books of poetry. And we have a quote from Isaiah in the prophets. Every major section of the Old Testament is referenced here in Paul's quotes And it's as if to say to us, the entire Old Testament speaks of God's promises, not only for the nation of Israel, but also for the non-Jew, the Gentiles that make up the rest of the world. God gave a promise of a king that would come and establish an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom where Jews and Gentiles would unite together and serve and worship this king. And God fulfilled that promise when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a babe. You see, the hope of Christmas is a hope that was fulfilled, a hope that was fulfilled. In writing his introduction to his letter to Timothy, Paul wrote this. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. He is the hope of Christmas fulfilled. We read in Luke's gospel of how God sent the angel Gabriel to a city of Galilee, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And after pronouncing blessings upon her, the angel declared to a very confused Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Those promises that had been made to the fathers and to the rest of the world, they were fulfilled when Jesus Christ came in the form of a babe. You know, after giving birth to Jesus and finishing off her days of purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and her husband, Joseph, they brought Jesus to the temple in order to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to the law of Moses. And this is how Luke records that Event In chapter two, verses 25 through 32, it says, and behold, there was a man named a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That word Christ, it's the same word. It means anointed one. The Messiah, the Mashiach is the anointed one. It's the same thing, just different languages, Hebrew and Greek. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You see, Simeon, like so many others, were waiting upon the Lord. They were hoping, waiting with great expectation. Okay, Waiting for the hope of Israel, the one who would come and fulfill the promises given to the patriarchs. And God allowed him to see with his very own eyes the fulfillment of those promises in the child, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as a child, as a babe, but he grew up into a man. And he lived his life in perfect harmony with his heavenly father, doing the will of God above all else. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And when it was time to complete his mission, he prayed to his father. He said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And then the very next day, Jesus surrendered his perfect, sinless life upon the cross of Calvary for you and for me. Taking upon himself the sins of the entire world, and thus fulfilling God's plan for him. Jesus declared upon the cross, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, if the hope of Christmas was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, why do we continue to hope today? Right? Right? Why do we continue to celebrate and keep hope as an important part of Advent? Well, again, we have to remember that Advent isn't just about looking back and remembering what happened in the past. It's also about looking forward into the future. You see, the hope of Christmas is a hope for the future. Jesus did fulfill the hope of Christmas by coming and fulfilling his father's will, dying upon the cross for you and me. But as you all know, the story doesn't end there. For three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead victoriously. He defeated sin and death and became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now that's a euphemism. Okay, it's not talking about people who fall asleep in church. Not that any of you guys do that. Um, But it's a euphemism for those who have died and, and, and passed away. Okay. Paul writes, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming, his parousia, <laughs> that same Greek word. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we now have a future hope that we anticipate and wait for with great expectation. Not just a wishful, hopeful longing, like, I really hope this happens. No, we have a confident assurance that this will happen. And really, it is a twofold hope, our future hope. Number one, we know uh, and that we now have what the Bible refers to as a living hope. Okay? A living hope. In his first epistle, the apostle Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have a living hope for the future, A hope that just as Christ was resurrected from the dead, so too will we be resurrected from the dead into an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away and is reserved for us in heaven. Our living hope in the future is our hope of life everlasting. Jesus came to this earth so that we may not perish, but that we may obtain everlasting life, right? Right? That's John three sixteen, right? We know, we all know that verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is our hope. Right, A hope for our future with God in heaven. A living hope based upon the resurrection of the dead. So the hope of Christmas is to remind us of our future hope in heaven. As we celebrate Christmas this year, I want you guys to be reminded of, while you might like all the gifts and get excited about those gifts, you have something far greater to be excited about. Eternity in heaven awaits us. Okay? And I'll tell you right now, that tops are anything that can be underneath that Christmas tree. But that's not all. Not only do we have a living hope for the future, but the Bible also refers to us having a blessed hope for the future. Paul wrote to Titus stating, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope that Paul is referring to is the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus promised that he would come again. He declared in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The angels who appeared before the disciples as they watched Jesus ascend to the Father in heaven, they declared to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. As you saw him go into heaven, Jesus is coming back. Okay. His return is our blessed hope for the future. A day is coming when Jesus Christ will return to this earth. And when he does, he will call us to himself and we will be joined with him for the rest of eternity. What a glorious hope that is to know that each day that passes is one day closer to the day that Christ will return for us. He promised. He said, if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. You know, a lot of people participate in some sort of countdown to Christmas Day, whether that be a a special Advent calendar. I know that's very popular uh, to do. Um, Myself, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but we. Uh, I liked Christmas. <laughs> we, you know, um, and um, we did paper rings. We would take paper strips and create loops and kind of almost make like a little bit of a garland. Uh, I got some strange looks for service, but some people in first service said, said they do that too. So now I got some nodding heads over here. So I'm not weird. You do that, right? And then each day that goes by, you rip off one of the rings and tear it off and you kind of count down and it gets smaller and smaller. Right, okay. Um, people do that. I think still today, (laughs) And with each passing day, our hearts get more and more excited for Christmas to arrive, right? And you guys, that's wonderful, okay? I encourage you guys, participate in something like that, okay? Counting down the days uh, to Christmas. But I also want to encourage you and to remind you that with each passing day, we also draw one day closer to our blessed hope that glorious hope of his appearing. You know, as you count down the days to Christmas this year, I I would ask you to be mindful that with each passing day, you are not only getting closer to the celebration of his first coming, but you're also getting one day closer to His second coming. May our hearts be filled with wonder and excitement and anticipation for the hope of Christmas. Remembering and celebrating his first coming but also looking forward to his second coming. And may, as Paul writes here in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given to us his Holy Spirit to remind us of the hope that we have, And so I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may abound in hope. Amen? Amen. 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 You guys, today is uh, the first Sunday of Advent, but it is also the first Sunday of the month for us. And uh, while we are shaking things up a bit here uh, with taking a break from our regular verse-by-verse study through the New Testament, I felt that it would still be good for us to set aside some time to come to the Lord's table through communion this morning. Communion is an important ordinance that God has left for us to observe on a regular basis. For us here at Calvary, we try to set aside the first Sunday of every month to come to the Lord's table. Um, Communion is something that we do to, to look back upon and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ but it is also something we do as we look forward to his coming. As Paul would write, we partake of the bread, we partake of the cup, um, remembering in remembrance of what he did, but also uh, in proclamation of the day that he'll come back for us and remembering that he's going to come for us. And so in, is a in a similar way to Christmas and the Advent season. Uh, during the Christmas and Advent season, we are encouraged to remember his coming as a babe in a manger, but we're also encouraged to look forward to the blessed hope of his glorious appearing. In communion, we're encouraged to look back to the sacrifice upon the cross, but also to look forward to our living hope and our blessed hope in him. And so uh, the worship team, they're going to... Um, lead us in song. Um, they're going to come up. They're going to lead us in a time of worship at the ushers. They're going to prepare to distribute the communion elements to you. And as they do so, I just want to encourage you all to spend the next few minutes simply, you know, praying to God. Uh, if you're here with family, uh, or maybe uh, your spouse, uh, feel free to spend some time praying together if you guys would like. You could do it quietly; that's fine. Out loud, you know, but just quietly, that's fine. If you'd rather just do by yourself or uh, your, um, uh, take it. Just take advantage of the time. All right, uh, let's take advantage of this time that we've set aside to remember all that Christ's done for us, to thank Him for the living hope that we have, for the blessed hope uh, the worship team is going to lead in song. And we're, in, when you're ready, after you spend some time in prayer, if you will want to join in with them in singing, feel free to do so. If you want to spend the entire time just praying and thanking God, uh, you do that as well. Okay. Let's just spend some time with the Lord, praying, worshiping, communing with him, and then uh, hold on to the communion elements. Cause I'm going to come back up and lead us in partaking of the elements together as a church family. So let's spend some time with the Lord. That night when Jesus was praying to the Father, telling him he'd finished the mission, the work that God had called him to, that same night he he partook in the Passover meal with his disciples. And during that Passover meal, he um, took certain elements of the Passover meal and gave them new meaning, gave them new significance. And uh, I want to read to you in Luke's account, Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 19, we read, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The the bread that was broken, it was, Jesus said, this is my body. It's a picture uh, for us to remember his broken body, that he went to the cross for us, he took our penalty upon his own shoulders and allowed himself to be broken for you and for me. And so when we partake of the communion, we partake of the bread, we're remembering his broken body upon the cross. So let's partake in remembrance of that. The next verse, verse 20 says, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The cup that he partook of, it was after the meal. It was the third cup of the Passover meal. It's known as the cup of redemption. Redemption. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, because it was through the blood of Jesus Christ that he paid for our redemption, that he redeemed you and me from the penalty of our sins. And his blood is what washes us and cleanses us from our sins. And so as we partake of the cup, we're remembering his broken body, but we're remembering his shed blood that washes us, that cleanses us, that makes us white as snow, that redeemed us from the penalty of our sins. And so let's partake of the cup in remembrance of that. Father, we thank you so much for the work of the cross. We thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood. We thank you that as we begin to just set our hearts and minds upon Christmas and this Advent season, celebrating your coming, not just your first coming, but your second coming as well. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts just a hunger for more of you. I pray, Lord, that as Paul wrote, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. Lord, not the hope that this world has, this wishful, longing, optimistic thinking, That's not really set in reality, but Lord, a living hope, a blessed hope, a hope that is certain and expectant. That is the hope that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. We pray that you would fill our hearts with hope. Lead and guide us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.